why do why do we have leaders now who 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 are not doing that, who don't have the courage, who don't have the backbone, and who are content to benefit politically at the expense of the lack of vision and weakness. kids welcome in another good week with your uh, favorite alabama political podcast that's we named it you know, alabama politics this week so i mean what else are we gonna talk about uh i am josh moon that is david person oh we have got a eh, mediocre show uh i mean we really scraped the bottom of the barrel for a guest this week and so Oh, uh, we got the last person who was available, and so we're gonna <laughs> we'll get him on, and we'll see what he if he has anything interesting at all to say. Uh, but it is uh, it it is Chip Brownlee, who uh, we know oh. a little bit. Yeah, oh, the yeah. writer from the Trace, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah Chip's, he, Chip's good. Uh, he's yeah, good he's a great and, reporter and a great and absolutely a great reporter. That's the reason we're gonna have him on. And I was just because I was just joking. It was sarcasm about uh, him, him scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, but all right. So to begin with, let's start with our. Uh, and by the way, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little off the game. Uh, we we've had the flu run through the moon household. <laughs> oh, so, uh, uh, now I don't get it. Uh, I don't know what my I don't know what my immune situation is here, but I don't get the flu. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm, I've managed to uh, to withstand the full-on coughing in the face from a four-year-old with the flu uh, right. though, uh, for the last week. And so, but, you know, the the constant check-in on the, because, I mean, the temperature went up to, yesterday was uh, was a pretty rough day. It was, you know, 103, almost 104 at times. Oh. And so, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. And so the constant checking of the temperature and getting up to give medicine and uh, all that. So, uh, yeah, it's been been a, been a challenging few days. I mean, you know, nothing major. Everybody seems to be on the mend, and so we're uh, we're we're looking all right. But uh, it's uh, whew, you know, they it's it's been uh, like a flash. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't. I can't really remember anything that happened yesterday. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense, you know, you you look back and you're like, was that yesterday or was that three days ago? Uh, but so, anyways, we're we're here. We're making it happen. Um, you know. Over the last few days, though, as the story of Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, has been reported on uh, out there, there has developed around this country, including people, elected people within this state, uh, who have had some interesting comments about this gentleman who was, um, first of all, the perpetrator who broke into Paul Pelosi and the the Pelosi home Mm -hmm. uh, and attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer. Uh, Mm -hmm. Apparently uh, fractured his skull with a hammer. Uh, Had to go into surgery. As as far as I know, we recorded this on Thursdays, uh, and and as far as I know, he he still remains in ICU. Uh, He's expected to recover, but uh, was very, very seriously injured in this attack. Um, in the days since that has happened, the people on the right, okay, and it, listen, you, we can quibble about how far right they are, uh, and 
whether they're extremists or whatever. But um, they have begun these pushing pushing a narrative in which somehow or another Paul Pelosi uh, was either responsible for this that happened because he was in some sort of a relationship with the gentleman that broke in, which has been proven to be completely untrue. Um, or uh, this was somehow the fault of Nancy Pelosi because she's such a radical leftist. Um, and, or simply, hey, you know what? People get hit with hammers all the time. Why is this such a big deal? Uh, sort of a thing. Um, I, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, and I mean, there were people who were dressed up in costumes for Halloween, grown people walking around carrying hammers, um, as though that was hilarious. And there were members of Congress who were tweeting out photos of these people, uh, with, you know, the laughing emojis and things thinking it was just hilarious that this has happened. An elderly man had his skull fractured by a hammer in his own home. Mm-hmm. And yet, do, do certain things happen? Of course they do. That's, I mean, you know, that this is awful. I mean, it's an awful turn of events to, to be attacked in your own home in this way. Uh, the police have come out and said they had, these people did not know each other. Uh, they had no prior relationship, no knowledge of one another prior to what happened at the ex- at the incident. Um, that that Paul Pelosi was in no way at fault for in, in any of these things. That he was simply at home uh, in bed, uh, and uh, this the guy broke in and was looking for Nancy Pelosi. He was yeah. going to tie him up and wait on Pelosi to get there so he could attack her and kill her. Um, and you know, as the president pointed out uh, Wednesday. They, he went into that house saying, where's Nancy? How can I yeah. find Nancy? Yeah. Which is the same language that the insurrectionists used on January the 6th when mm-hmm. they broke into the Capitol and they were also looking for her. And so it speaks to, I think, when you have both, when you combine both of those groups and the overall rhetoric and the narrative that is, uh, that is grabbed hold to the Republican Party, mm-hmm. it, it speaks to a level of fear and anger that has been tamped up by, let's be honest, a lot of outright lies by the people on the right. Um, and, and a willingness for people who know better to go along with this bullshit, mm-hmm. who, who b- believe it to be more politically a- expedient for them to just simply go along with the flow and not speak up or speak out against some of these lies and things that have been told. Um, And you have created an atmosphere in which you have people like this who are willing to, to go to violent extremes and then, and then making it somehow even worse. You have legitimate people, legitimate elected people who celebrate it and mock it as though it's okay or that it's funny. And yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, that's the most deplorable shit I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah. Well, you know, it it's um, it is only logical that after you know four plus years of the kind of tone and rhetoric that we've seen coming from the highest level of government, the White House, mm-hmm. that 
we would begin we would begin to see this paradigm shift in the culture where uh people are increasingly inclined to dehumanize other people for political purposes and political reasons or ideological reasons or or, mm-hmm. or, or, or over ideological differences and and I think it you know you know this is this is it's a virus that has infected our body politic and no one seems to uh well I won't say no one's is speaking up because people are speaking up you're speaking up I'm speaking up others are speaking up but the people who need to speak up the most are the people who ideologically and politically are aligned with these folks who are doing these things is there's just not enough of them speaking up. There are some we've talked about Bart Starr in this state, you know, uh, with his, uh, the op-eds that he writes that are always, always, I think very, um, full of compassion and they're reasonable and, and he doesn't take pot shots at people. You know, we've talked about Richard Shelby and how, uh, during his tenure in the Senate as a Republican, he never he never went to the lengths of extreme partisanship that uh, many of his colleagues do, and and um, and you know and he was noticeably, I mean, very noticeably, uh, not giving in to that kind of rhetoric and that mm-hmm. kind of tone. Um, but unfortunately, they're just they're they're. There are far too many Republicans that do, and 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 what is really the final thing I'll say, Josh, is what really contributes to this is the seed has been planted to just you know to embrace the idea that it's okay to disregard the truth. Yeah, facts don't matter. The truth doesn't matter. Uh, reality is what you make it. Yep. Um, and you can deny, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it, like the old saying says, who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? I mean, that's yeah. just where we are. That's the, that mindset that seems to have permeated our body politic. And, it, and it's real. Well, it's, it's more than, you know, to me, it's, it's more than unfortunate. Um, it, you know, I, so I, I've been I've been toying around with this this column idea that I'm, I'm probably going to write at some point that simply says, at this day and time, Democrats are better people than Republicans. They're better people, better human beings than and 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 it's going to piss off a lot of of people, uh, you know, Republicans who uh, you know would I would consider friends and stuff, but. You know, I, I'm to the point with this where if you're not willing to say out loud that this is, whoa, you shouldn't do that. No, no, wait, wait that's not right. You know, then you are encouraging these people to continue. And you're doing so not because you're held hostage by somebody here. You're doing so simply because it's more convenient for you to do that. Okay. I mean, there's no, there's, there's nothing that would, 
that would prevent these people from from speaking out. There's nothing. Uh, yeah, I was having a conversation with uh, uh, editor at uh, APR, Bill Britt, uh, the other day, and we were talking about uh, where we kind of stand politically now. And I said, you know, I, I mean, he he they uh, he and his wife, you know, they love Katie Britt. Uh, and think a lot of her and and her husband, and they know them all. They're unrelated. They're not related at all in any way, even though they're both last names are Brit. I understand, but they're they're not related at all. Um, and so, but they they really like her. And and I said to him, I you know I don't dislike Katie either. I've met her many uh, several times. Uh, you know, I covered her husband. I, I know them. I, I think they're at their heart. I think they're pretty good people who want to do a good thing. However. However, the fact that she can't say that the damn election wasn't stolen and that there's nothing to this bullshit about, you know, election fraud and things like this, uh, that's a problem. It's contributing to the overall radicalization of a lot of right wing extremists yeah. that believe sure. when you feed into this and tell them that they've been wronged by their government, that they, you know, they've got a, uh, you know, they've got to speak out and, and go after these people that, that are, that are stealing their, their way of life from them. This is the result of that. All right. You, you, can you draw, can I draw a straight line? It may not be straight, but there's not much of a damn curve to it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take well, a lot of turns. Well, I mean, the same thing applies. It applies to Katie Britt without question, but it applies to really every major Republican in this state. Yes, you know, hundred percent. You're right, and I don't, and I don't want to just single out. Okay, I, I yeah. think I singled her out simply because, I, like with Richard Shelby, I have more faith in her to do the right thing. The, the right thing. I'm not worried about her politics. I'm not worried about her, you know, what, her, what she believes that whether, you know, trickle down economics is the best way to go or tax breaks or some, something like that. That's policy stuff that we're going to disagree with and it's fine. I'm talking about right and wrong. All right. Yeah. And right yeah. and wrong is, is clear to everybody. Well, yeah, and I think it gets it gets a little complicated. I, I, I generally I'm with you. I, I would say it gets a little complicated. When we start talking about some some particulars, like for example, is it right to create legislation that prevents women from having access to abortions? Sure. I would say that is not right. I would say right. that is wrong, flat out right. wrong. Right. But again, again, I think I put that in the. Yeah, I put that in the in the kind of the in the legislative category of things. Well, you know I understand, I'm but I'm saying yeah. I think even in the legislative category, there are some things that are clear cut, black and white, right and wrong issues. I think that's right. a moral issue, and it's wrong. But I, but I, yes. but I understand yes. where you're going, and I would yes. say, in 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 you know, broadly speaking, when it comes to legislative and political issues, you're right. The, these are things where we can have reasonable disagreements mm -hmm. as reasonable people and it's not an indictment of somebody's character if they have a different point of view from mine or vice versa right um but 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 i think again what we're both agreeing on unequivocally and the bottom mm -hmm. line of what we're talking about right now is that 
there is an enabling going on. Yeah. You know, you've got the enablers. So you've got, you know, Dr. King talked about how um, the big problem in America wasn't just the virulent, violent racist, the overt racist. It was the silence of the people who knew better. Yes. And who even believed differently, but did not have the courage, the moral courage to to say, I'm not going to yield to social or political expediency. I'm going to take a stand for what is right. And and that's what right now in the state of Alabama, from from Governor Ivey to to, you know, to Will Ainsworth, to to Senate candidate Katie Britt, um, to John Merrill, uh, Mm -hmm. to Steve Marshall. What we have are people in office who, ideology aside, partisanship aside, policy differences aside, have decided that they're going to enable lies. They're going to enable lies. They're going to enable um, things that actually represent a very real and present danger to our democracy, and they're Mm -hmm. doing it out of political expediency. That's the only reason yeah. they would do it. Certainly. Now, I'm, I'm also going to say something else. Okay. And you may, you may not agree with this either. I only hold them responsible to a point. Okay. And the rest of it, I believe, falls directly at the feet of voters. Yes. Uh, because yes. I, without... Voters excusing away this behavior um, without voters excusing away the fact that, you know, Steve Marshall took pack to pack transfer money uh, when he was being elected. That was clearly illegal and everybody knew it. They, they just washed it away. Nobody even talks about it anymore. You know, and, and it has you, you can see it was a sign for how that office was going to operate going forward under Steve Marshall. It, it, it didn't matter. Whatever was the benefit to Steve Marshall was okay under the law, as far as he as he was concerned. Didn't matter if it was a little bit outside the law, but you know it's Steve Marshall, so he's going to keep doing it, and that's how that office has operated ever since. Same same with John Merrill in a lot of ways. Uh, even though I think John Merrill has been better uh, than than he could have been than than other uh, Southern red state secretaries of state have been, yeah. I still think that we have a cl- pretty clear indication of the fact that he has not been on the up and up with a lot of people on some things. And I think we, you know, when you overlook some of the shortcomings that he's had throughout his life, uh, there was an indication of these, these problems. Um, and, and it, and it continues to stretch on the fact that we have so many people in this state willing to go to the polls and elect people who have stood up and said some nonsense about the election being stolen or uh, that Trump was right or, uh, you know, what, what, what COVID was the, the COVID vaccine was you know, something, a, a conspiracy from the government and all that. The fact that you're going to go to the polls and vote for people like that, even though I think a lot of those voters know that it's bullshit, mm-hmm. that what these people have said is absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I know they do. I know they do. I've talked to them. I've seen it. I've seen, but they, they have been convinced of this team politics concept now where they win if Republicans win, yeah. even though 
They lose in daily life. They win if Republicans win and they get to brag about it on Facebook or something. They talk about a red wave or, you know, they talk about how this or that. So, I, you know, I, I just think that at a point we've got to figure out a way to tell people, you know, if you don't stand up for what you believe in and what's right and wrong and what you know is right and wrong, then we're going to continue to lose like we've been losing and we're losing. We're lo- uh, you can say that you think you're winning as a Republican. You're not winning. What do you want? You know, yeah. what what prize so, has come to your mailbox out of this? Is anything? So, you know, I, I this is really interesting because this is almost a. Um, it's a parallel to the chicken and egg concept, which came first, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so do you know, where do, is the onus on the voters? to do the right thing and and then the leaders follow or is the onus on the leaders to do the right thing and to make the case to the voters to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I do agree with you that there's shared responsibility. I do agree with that, but I put the onus on the leaders. I put the onus on the leaders. I think ultimately the leaders are more to blame than the voters because they are the people who have been given the platform. They are the people who, at least in theory, have the charisma um, to make the case. And, and they are the ones who, if they were to do so, and if they were to do so in a unified way and with, with intentionality and commitment, um, I I believe that they would have some positive impact, but because they don't, you know, the I I almost hate to put it this way, but there's a reason why some people are leaders and 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 most people are not. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, I don't that, disagree that has with to you do with a lot of different things, but probably mm-hmm. all things being equal, we can say that 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 the people who are leaders have something that most of the rest of, of, of us do not, whether that's intellect, charisma, courage, vision, you know, some combination of those things yeah. in a best case scenario. And so to me, those are the people who, um, you know, I believe, let me, let me summarize it this way. I believe that there's going to be a, a a judgment at some point, mm-hmm. a cosmic judgment mm-hmm. that's going to be led by the creator of all things. And I believe that that, that, that in that time, however that happens and whatever that means, that the creator of all things, the almighty, is going to be looking first and foremost at the leaders, the mm-hmm. people that have the gifts, the vision, the intellect, uh, the charisma. Uh, who were supposed to be the light in the world. It was going to say to them, why have you failed us? Why have you abdicated your responsibility to lead and acquiesced to the baser instincts? Mm -hmm. Why did you not have the courage of, and I'm just, and I'm going to lump some people together here that might surprise you, but why did you not have the courage of, a Martin Luther King Jr. Why did you not have the courage of a Ronald Reagan? 
You know, why did you not have the courage of a Nancy Pelosi? Why did you not have the courage of a Mike Pence? These are people who, at certain critical times, and I'll say a George W. Bush even, to, to further distort this, people who, at critical junctures, I may not have agreed with some of those people most of the time, but at critical junctures, they had the vision and the courage to stand up and do the right thing. Why do, why yeah. do we have leaders now who, who, who are not doing that, who don't have the courage, who don't have the backbone, and who are content to benefit politically at the expense of the lack of vision and weakness of other people? Uh, you know, I, I think, though, um, I think the answer to that, though, is that we, we don't have a, a voting base that requires it. But see, that's and my I point, think, Josh. Leaders don't leaders don't look to the voting base. Leaders lead. I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I also think that um, given the opportunity, most people out there uh, will choose the easier course uh, on things. They'll choose the the the. You know, listen, it's easy right now. Here, here's the thing: it's easy right now in the Republican Party to be Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, all right? It's easy to say really hateful, dumb things, to get your name, you know, to be Matt Gaetz, uh, or, or you know, to, to go down the line, to, to be Tommy Tuberville, and to just parrot things every now and then, and for the most part, stay out of the way and don't say anything about the, this awful stuff, okay? It's, it's easy to do those things. It's hard to be Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. And take a stand. It's hard to be Liz Cheney mm-hmm. and say this because these other people are are not going to stand with you. They're not going to take it. They're not, even though they know you're right, they're not going to stand up and say because their easiest path is to do nothing or to mimic the rhetoric or to go well, along with that, what the think, what the voting base thinks. I think that makes my point though, Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney have proven themselves to be leaders mm-hmm. because they did not let the voting base dictate to them what their position should be. I'm not they saying let- that. I'm not, yeah, but you're asking why they're not more. I'm saying what you mentioned with, with, with the, na- the other names you mentioned, Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, those type of people, they, they, were, they had the support of, of folks. They were very popular. They were when they when they took their stands on certain things that the people forgave them and, and went along with them and continued to back them. And they still think of Ronald Reagan as some kind of a saint, even though I could quibble. Uh, and they think well, of George W. Bush, you yeah. know, for the most part in in a favorable manner. You um, know, I was I, I was trying to be uh, I was trying to be nonpartisan with my. <laughs> I understand. I understand what you're saying, and I don't listen. I know exactly what you were trying to do, and I, and I don't disagree with you that that Ronald, you know that Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush are were better people than a lot of current yeah. day Republican representatives and and senators uh, and and you know presidents. Certainly, the last president um, yeah. that they were they were better people who were more interested. And I think you know what I think, man. I think there used to be. Um, there used to be credit given for doing the damn job, you know. 
There used to be credit given for a guy who could go in and get things done and talk about policy and who knew stuff, you know, who knew things about, had, had facts and information and could stand up and, and argue back and forth intelligently with somebody on the other side of the aisle about policy issues and about big ideas and things. There used to be credit given for that. And now it's turned into the credit is given to dopes who get on Twitter and have the the you know the hottest take about the own you know where you, they can own the libs mm. and that's what gets the attention of the voting base now versus what used to get the attention of the voting base and I you know it, it just it seems like we we've, we've rewarded stupidity and and ignorance and a willingness to be publicly dumb mm-hmm. and. You know, I mean, I don't know. It just it's it's so it's frustrating to me to watch people sit by and allow this man who got attacked in his own home to be turned into somehow uh at at best just a uh, a complicit partner in in a in a cover up and yeah. you know and at worst uh the whole thing was staged and fake, you know, and and it just and to watch people just go along with this and uh, yeah. and to watch them dress up in Halloween costumes and have members of Congress tweet out the photos and people laugh about it. And, you know, a certain news network spend all day long, you know, talking about the conspiracy at the Pelosi's, you know, it's just. Yeah. With, with uh, I no mean, facts. I mean, that's, no, you know, they're just no. making stuff up. Not only know? no facts, but the facts that are available from the police, you yeah. know, and. We're, we are talking about a, a network that really cares about blue lives, uh, as they've repeated over and over. But apparently the blue lives in this case are all a bunch of liars and going along with the Pelosi's. And I guess everybody involved is a secret liberal, uh, including all the people that work at the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, they they must really love those uh, defund the police Democrats, as they are <laughs> referred to. Uh, and. But, you know, so it's it's whatever. And, you know, and maybe it's all that they're just children, you know, there's overgrown children that can't that they can't comprehend complex issues and problems. And so they just always opt for the easiest, straightest answer to every single thing and and are always fooled by any answer that allows them to continue to believe whatever in the hell it is they wanted to believe in the first place. Maybe that's just the answer to the whole thing. I, I think there's a lot to what you just said. <laughs> so listen, I apologize for wasting the last 20 minutes of your life. So that's uh, <laughs> uh all righty. Let's uh let's slide out of here and uh we'll come back and uh, we'll get who's oh oh yeah. All right. We'll get yeah. Chip Brownlee in here when we yeah. come back. Uh, yeah, Chip. Chip Brownlee. Oh, Chip Brownlee. I just, I just don't I don't I don't recognize the name. All <laughs> right, back in a minute. Alabama politics this week. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, 
but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Parson, and we are semi-happy uh, to have with us now. Um, let's see. Uh, his name is Chip Brownlee. Uh, Chip works for a news organization called The Trace. First of all, I think, uh, would, would it be reporter? Is that your your basic title at The, the yeah. Trace? Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I, I guess, because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of folks in the state of Alabama are not necessarily familiar with the trace, even though y'all do great work and uh, and people should and uh, and they probably have seen the research and things that have come from y'all, but they don't necessarily yeah. recognize that it did come from you. So I guess tell people what the trace is and and what you do and and uh, you know so just give them a little information. Yeah, so the trace is a nonprofit news organization, um, uh-huh. kind of a single issue news organization, and we cover gun violence and gun policy um, and some criminal justice things that are related to those issues. Uh, I think a lot of people probably have uh, come in contact with our reporting. Um, In fact, I know many people in Alabama have kind of indirectly um, because the church shooting that happened earlier this year, uh, the guy who um, did that shooting um, was a federal firearms licensee. And we had done a lot of reporting on federal firearms licensees, people who have a federal license to sell guns. Um, and several of the news outlets in Alabama reported this, that this guy had an FFL and, you know, that he had some, um, there had been some investigations, uh, into his FFL before, and they got that stuff from us. Um, so a lot of our things kind of show up like that. Um, a lot of times other people will come in contact with our reporting because it's published in another news outlet. So I did uh, a story on Randall Woodfin in Birmingham and uh, gun violence in Birmingham last year. And that story was published in APR mm-hmm. um, or co-published with APR. So a lot of times people will read our stuff, but they don't know that um, <laughs> even though the story says, you know, this was right. originally published by The Trace, um, they'll, they may read it in another outlet. Yeah, as well. Listen, I mean, people don't don't pay attention to that. I've I've I've, yeah, I've had my uh, my father call me before and say, "Hey, listen, did you see this story uh, that was written about <laughs> this particular topic?" And and I'll say, "Yes, uh, go to the top of that story and tell me who wrote it." And it <laughs> was the my story. Uh Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's happened multiple times. Uh, I feel know, like that's I feel like that's a downfall of like the the end of kind of the print newspapers. Like back yeah. in the day, I feel like people knew who the bylines were, and now. Not so yeah, much. yeah, they they hated people a lot more than uh, you know, individual <laughs> writers. Um, all right, so but the reason we 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 had you on is because we we kind of started out talking about uh, you know the the environment that we now find ourselves in, uh, where this uh, where there seems to be a separate reality for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. And you wrote a story for the Trace about Alex Jones and the th- the things he has spread uh and and called around y'all called how many how many was it just governors is that right just governors 
No, it was 79 candidates in total, and they mm-hmm. were all Republican candidates in competitive Senate, House, and uh, governor races. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't read it. So, so it was a mix. Uh, it was a mix. I just, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I absolutely <laughs> didn't read it. But uh, it was, um, and it was, you were just asking them, you know, what, how they felt about Alex Jones and, uh, and, and to give some re- uh, response to, uh, what, you know, what was, what was the response from them? What was their response to, to your questions about Alex Jones and, and what's taking place there? Uh, the short answer is most of them had no response. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe, um, we should start with kind of like who Alex Jones is. I think a lot of people know who he is, uh-huh. but I'm sure, um, yeah, I think most many, people, many people don't. Uh, you know, when, when you get a billion dollar verdict against you, uh, yeah. for, for making up lies about <laughs> Sandy Hook children, uh, then I think most people, I, I, they, they saw, probably saw that. Uh, but I don't know that they, you're right, that they know the full story of, of Alex Jones and what he does and, and what he runs. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like he's irrelevant now, um, which I kind of want to explain first what, like why we did this story. Um, Mm -hmm. Alex Jones is the creator of InfoWars, which a lot of people know as like this conspiracy uh, theory, quote unquote, news outlet, um, which is like basically to the far right of Fox News and Newsmax and all these other kind of conservative, um, Mm -hmm. you know, news and video platforms. And he kind of like he basically rose to prominence because he came up with this. I don't know if he originally came up with it, but he definitely like boosted and kind of started this conspiracy theory that the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting um, was a hoax, basically. And all of the kids who died were fake and the parents were crisis actors who, um, I guess, Democrats or somebody hired to try to pass gun control. That it was all fake. It was all like a pretext to pass gun control. And he became more famous because of that theory. And a lot of um, people on the far right started listening to him. And he also, you know, perpetuated a lot of other conspiracy theories like Pizzagate, thinking that there were Democrats hiding children in a basement in a pizza parlor and all of this kind of stuff. So he's like one of the main spreaders of these theories and like hundreds of thousands of people um, have watched his shows over the years and still do, even though he's kind of been deplatformed and shoved off of YouTube and these other places that he used to be. Donald Trump has been on his show. Uh, he's claimed over the years that he like has um, a close relationship with Donald Trump, that he talks to him. I don't know if that's true, uh, but his conspiracy. It sounds gets, right, though. Sounds yeah. right. <laughs> I don't know. I'll let you make that <laughs> judgment. But he has said it, and it's just kind of hard to tell because Obviously, we know he comes up with a lot of uh, untrue things, Um, Mm. but his theories have like made their way into Republican politics, particularly like on the far right of the of the Republican Party. Um, And we've seen other, you know, members of Congress who have kind of insinuated or even outright said that Parkland was a hoax. He has an effect on Republican politics. And after the defamation trial and all of that, we decided that we would reach out to Republican candidates and competitive races um, and ask them, you know, if they would denounce Alex Jones, if they would say on the record that Sandy Hook was not a hoax, 
and if they supported the families that were suing Alex Jones um, for defamation. Mm-hmm. So we we went through. I mean, like we spent weeks on this because seventy nine. We limited it to seventy nine, and in these competitive races, because it would be so many uh, people to contact if we did all of the all of the races. Right. Um, and with these seventy nine, we you know confirmed that we had the the right contacts to get in touch with them or their staffs. Um, we sent them several emails beforehand. We called. We DM'd people on Twitter. We you know talked to their press people on LinkedIn. Um, so we had contact with a lot of these people before we sent them the questions just to make sure that we were, you know, getting the right people the questions. Sure. And once we sent those three fairly simple questions, uh, only seven people, only seven House uh, Republican candidates responded. Only one of them was an incumbent, um, Don Bacon. And uh, so mm-hmm. 72 of the 79 did not respond or um you know denounce alex jones in any way or separate themselves from him or you know say that sandy hook wasn't a hoax did did the seven that respond did they did they denounce him yeah uh uniformly they all denounced him um they all except one said that they supported the family's lawsuit um and all of them said that Sandy Hook was not a hoax. And I, the the seven that did respond, when you look at them, most of them are more moderate Republicans who are in kind of uh, lean Democrat districts that are like not as that are just more like even among this competitive field. Um, these were pretty competitive races and kind of more moderate districts. So I think they weren't as you know afraid to. Uh, kind of denounce him because they they probably need people to vote for right. them who yeah they were they yeah. were western republicans which uh at least the the states that they i mean i saw nevada colorado um those jumped out at me immediately i thought well these guys are you know they they have a populace where they probably need to um to be reasonable you know, yeah. they need to come across as reasonable. And then I saw one was African-American. I can't mm-hmm. remember which state he was from, but. That's Connecticut, but, actually. Oh, um, well, there, George, George there Logan. Have. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he was close to, to Sandy Hook. Yeah. So uh, this may seem like an obvious a question with an obvious answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just to get this on the record. Why? Why did you not interview any uh, Democratic candidates? Um, I, I think we've just haven't seen the same kind of acceptance or, or tacit acceptance of um, Alex Jones theories on, not nuts. and the Democratic not Party. They're not crazy. <laughs> I mean, and seriously, so, but, I mean, like, Alex Jones is nuts, okay? He's nuts. Yeah. And, well, yeah. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's. I think he's crazy like a fox. I don't, I think he's. Oh, no, that dude, he is insane. That guy is nuts. He's off the charts nuts. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, as Barney well, Fife would say of Ernest T. Bass, there goes a nut. All right. Well, and I, I think, I, I'm just, oh. I think, I yeah. think we may be, we may be landing in the same airport, but I think we're on <laughs> different airlines. I, yeah, I, just, yeah. I think this guy is, this guy is consciously uh, monetizing. 
Yes. He, he's not too crazy because he's he's monetized his his craziness to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. So right. I don't I disagree think he's with that. Crazy like a fox. Man. No, uh, but I mean, his conspiracy theories are crazy. And I, I'll, you know, just to go back to the original question, we didn't ask Democrats that because there's no evidence really that any Democrats have ever tacitly supported his conspiracy right. theories. He doesn't he doesn't support Democrat um, candidates in the same way that he has endorsed Republican candidates or yeah. have a friendly relationship with Donald Trump. So. I mean, it, it would have essentially been us sending these questions, knowing what the answer was going to be from Democrats, right. which is that they would. So well, it, it just kind of felt like a yeah. it would be a waste of. Um, and, and Chip, that's why I prefaced my, uh, <laughs> yeah. my question with this may seem like it's an obvious answer. But yeah, get back 79 right. crying laughing emojis. I mean, you know, that's all. you. I mean, if ask. there was any evidence that any of these Democratic candidates had, you know. Uh, endorsed any of his conspiracy theories or anything like that, we would have asked them, but sure, there just isn't. Sure, I just thought it was important to get that on the record. Yeah, I mean, so, we've had a lot of people ask us that. I mean, again, yeah. it was three of us working on this story. Um, if we had all of the resources in the world, I think we would have asked, you know, all of the candidates in the 435 House races, Senate races, and however many governors races there are this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was just not, it wasn't as simple as just, you know, like sending one email to all of those people. We had to make sure that we had the right people to get the questions and we had to make sure that the, we sent them follow-ups and all of that kind of stuff. So we just couldn't mm -hmm. do all of them. So, so let me ask you, uh, another question, Chip. Um, and, and it's a good piece of reporting. I think it's, uh, Thank you. I, I really appreciated it. Um, we we are here, Josh and I are here in the state of Alabama. I know you're based in the Northeast, but we're we're down here in the South in Alabama, and um, and I did not see any Alabama candidates uh, queried uh, in your reporting. Tell tell us why you didn't talk to any Alabama candidates. Yeah, so we limited it to seventy nine candidates. All of those candidates were in races that were deemed competitive. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. By the Cook Political Report, which is this like election watch uh, kind of news outlet that rates races and gathers polls and things like that. Um, and none of the Alabama races were deemed competitive. So we did not right. ask any of okay. them. Um, okay. So kind of fell in line with your thinking about, uh, you know, there's no real need to do that because, again, we're talking primarily about. Uh, Republicans and, and and the Republican mindset as opposed to a general political mindset. These are these are the people aligned with Alex Jones. Mm -hmm. So um you got a lot of people who did not respond. Yeah. The vast majority of your of the people that you queried did not respond. Uh I you know all three of us have uh, deep roots in journalism, uh, but I want to ask you from your perspective and from the perspective of the trace, what's the journalistic conclusion that you come to? What's the journalistic analysis of a non-response in this case? Yeah. So a lot of them 
we were in touch with before we sent the questions. Uh, it was basic. Some of them essentially insinuated that like we we should not expect a response to the questions. Um, after the fact, you know, after we gathered all of these responses and the lack of responses, we took them, you know, to several uh, experts and asked them. And essentially, their conclusion was uh, Republicans. These Republicans, no matter if they agree with Alex Jones or not, are afraid to alienate a base of voters on the far right whose votes they need, um, who are supportive of Alex Jones, or at least if not supportive of him, feel this kind of tribal, um, or partisan kind of responsibility to, you know, protect him for whatever reason. Um, and I think that's why a lot of these races, even if they're competitive, if you lose a set of voters, uh, that you need, you could lose your race. And Alex Jones has, you know, been put in a, a uh, close to going out of business. He's not out of business, but he he has been damaged by all the defamation trials and being de- deplatformed by Facebook and YouTube and other places. Um, but he still has a lot of viewers, and a lot of those viewers are voters on the Republican side. And if and if they denounce him, then those voters may not vote for them. And those same and the and the, I think the broader thing is if uh, these Republicans who refused to denounce Alex Jones, they weren't afraid of losing Republican voters by not responding, because it's just like you know that that kind of tacit acceptance of these conspiracy theories, whether people fully believe them or not. Got you. Yeah, yeah. I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the open, uh, where you have a, an environment now in which there's no real penalty for believing really dumb things, uh, and 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 a you know, and not calling out people who live in a separate reality for the most part. Um, but there there is a small one, I guess. And saying, you know, this guy's a fruitcake. Why are you? Why are you watching this? He thought people were in the bottom of a pizza parlor that didn't even have a basement. I mean, what are we doing uh, here? Um, you know, and I, I guess, you know, I, I guess that kind of goes back to uh, to making David's point that he was making um, in the first part and the first, in the open, where he said, you know, that that leaders lead, and um, you have to think. If some of these people would stand up and say, you know, this guy's a white job. Y'all got to stop believing this. This is this is hurting everybody. We can't keep doing this. That some of these people hearing it from someone on their side of the aisle may look around and say, eh, what are we doing? You know, why have I got this tinfoil hat on? Uh, and, you know, <laughs> what, um, you know, what, what the hell is going on? But I mean. Y'all done a lot of stuff with, with gun uh, violence and, and research and studies. I mean, this isn't the only crazy thing that people believe about about guns. And uh, I mean, there, there are all sorts of false narratives out there about weapons uh, and about the people yeah. who commit these terrible mass shootings. Uh, so, I mean, it, to me, these sorts of things kind of kind of keep us at the status quo in terms of gun legislation, don't they? Yeah. 
I mean, that that's the whole point of the conspiracy theory that Alex Jones perpetuated is that, you know, this terrible mass shooting that killed so many kids and, and educators was fake. And all of the people pushing for gun regulation after that were doing so based off this, that this shooting was fake. I mean, that's why they push these conspiracy theories, because it gives people an excuse not to want to see change. Um, if you think the shooting was fake, then there's no need to change the laws to try to prevent the next one. And that's why they, they, they push these kind of conspiracy theories. So, I mean, this may not be something that you know, but I mean, is there any is there any connection between uh, it, the, this guy Alex Jones and or people like him and and the gun industry itself? I mean, are they are they helping to fund some of this? Uh, when you look at the way Alex Jones makes his money, um, the ads on his platform are mostly for vitamin supplements and like survivor gear, you know, the kind of things you see like uh-huh. on, on the internet. But yeah. a lot of his, a lot of his ads are for, you know, kind of gun paraphernalia and stuff like that. So I don't know that he has any direct connections to any of the firearm manufacturers, but a lot of the ads on his shows are for things related to like in the broader, you know, gun industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he has always been um, kind of like an extreme Second Amendment person. Um, and that's like kind of how he's built himself over the years. You know, I miss you this. I, you just said something that made me think of a, another question I was thinking about asking him. Uh, because you, y'all, y'all handle a lot of stuff related to gun issues and things like that. Do you think that we do a disservice in this argument over gun rights and gun legislation and things when we also kind of refer to people on the gun side, you know, more guns, the better as as the second amendment folks, because Hmm. honestly, I think I am the second amendment folk. I think I am what, the the founders of the country intended uh, when they wrote the Second Amendment, which is we don't have a problem with people owning firearms in this country, mm-hmm. but we want them uh, there to be a purpose to it. Uh, we want them to be trained to own these firearms. Uh, and it, of course, at that time, we're, we're talking about muskets and things. And so we're not talking about all the crazy weaponry that we have today. But mm-hmm. still, uh, even if you apply the original text there and, and make it apply to the, the various weapons that we have, that you be trained in these things, that there be uh, some sort of a purpose to you to you owning these weapons, because that's what there, there absolutely was a purpose at that point for them to have these weapons. But even outside of that, at least there'd be some training and some some regulation to go with that, because uh, I don't have a problem with people owning weapons. Not at all. Um, and, and I'm not scared of them. I'm not scared of guns, that, you know, it, even more so than I should be. Um, but I, I think these people that are like Alex Jones and the, and the hardcore people that put the little stickers, I don't know if y'all have seen these little stickers on the back of cars that says my family 
and it's a, a bunch of damn guns, uh, drawings of guns, <laughs> car, you know, across there. And it's just, wow. I mean, you know, yeah. where, you know, a lot of those vans and stuff, they'll have the family of the mom, the stick figures of the mom, dad, and the kids and dogs and stuff. And, and they've got guns back there. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, those people to me are not second amendment people, you know, they're, they are, uh, they have abused the second amendment and, and kind of altered it for their own purposes. Uh, and I mean, I think some courts and some judges have gone along with them, uh, but I, I don't, I don't find them to be, first of all, I don't find them to be representative of the nation even today as a whole, uh, when it comes to yeah. gun regulations and where people stand. And I don't find them to be representative of the people who wrote the damn thing to begin with. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. Uh, that's, I mean, that's why I said he's kind of on the extreme yeah, right of the Second Amendment. And I know you're not correct, but I do, I think yeah, you're I'm right. You. And most of the time when we write about this stuff, we try not to say Second Amendment supporter just because of, of that's, right. you know, not specific enough. We usually try to go for something else that's a little more specific or we say something like pro gun um, people. Um, stuff like that. And I, (laughs) and I, you're right about the second amendment in general. I mean, for most of America's history, the second amendment was considered a protection, uh, of rights related to militia service. It was not an individual right, um, related to firearms. Uh, it wasn't until the Heller case, DC, uh, Heller DC versus Heller in 2008, when the Supreme Court said Americans have a right to own a gun. Before that, there was no, you know, Supreme Court recognized right to have, to own a gun. Um, and then that was expanded this year in the Bruin case, um, the New York Rifle Pistol Association versus Bruin, um, that the Supreme Court, you know, ruled the day before <laughs> uh, the abortion decision. So it kind of um, yeah <laughs> got lost in everything. But that decision uh, effectively said that Americans have a right to carry a gun outside the home. Um, so we, over the last, you know, several decades, we've seen an, a real expansion of uh, the Supreme Court's recognition of of people of people's right rights related to guns. Um, yeah. So it's it's getting harder for states to regulate how people carry guns um, concealed. Uh, a lot of states have just gotten rid of. Uh, concealed carry permits altogether, including Alabama. Um, and even in states that don't want to do that, like New York, New York is now being forced, uh, been forced to basically rewrite its concealed carry law that it's had since the early 1900s because the Supreme Court says that that law is outside of the history of the Second Amendment, which is nonsense. Yeah. It's utter nonsense. They just make it up as they go and they don't care. They yeah. don't care at all. And there's no consequence because we have Alex Jones to cover the backside for him. Um, and, and it just, uh, it, it's really, it, I mean. But to go to your point about get. that not being representative of most gun owners, I mean, that's true. I, you know, own several guns. Mm-hmm. They're not with me in New York because I don't have a permit here. They're in Alabama uh, at my parents' mm-hmm. house. Um, but I don't think that's. That's not true. I mean, you look at polls and most gun owners support things like universal background checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they support, you know, raising the age of a person to buy a semi-automatic rifle like an AR-15. Um, and they support other uh, gun reform yeah. proposals. Um, 
Things I mean, like background checks, ninety percent of Americans support. That's sure not sure they do. You'd be crazy to not not support that. The function of these conspiracy theories and stuff, not just Alex Jones's conspiracy theory, but just like the broader slippery slope conspiracy that eventually, you know, if the if even if people support background checks, a lot of people don't vote for them because they think that, you know, this is all part of a a democratic conspiracy to uh, eventually take away all the guns. So if you do this one little thing, eventually they're going to take away everything. And that that's kind of the purpose that those those conspiracies serve is to ensure the status quo, which is very little gun regulation. And it's not even just ensuring the status quo. It's it's deregulating on guns. I mean, over like I said, over the past couple of decades, we've seen a, a, a serious deregulation around guns in this country. So their conspiracy theory that it's getting. You know, harder to get a gun. They're going to take away your guns. Yeah. It's the opposite. Uh, it's yeah. much easier to carry guns in public now than it was in 1980 when most states required uh, a permit to carry a gun concealed. So in light of, Chip, in light of what you just said, why is it that conservatives and Republicans have been so successful in continuing to perpetuate that narrative? <laughs> That's a good. I wish I knew the answer to that question. Listen, you got to give conservatives and Republicans a lot of credit for messaging. Okay, they are extremely, extremely good at boiling down complicated issues to a bumper sticker talking point that resonates with a lot of Americans Um, Mm -hmm. and and casting weapons as some sort of a sign of. Uh, you know, uh, being being macho or being a man, being a real man, being able to protect your family uh, from mm. the intruders that are coming in to harm your your wife and your children. You know, that's what we're going to do. We're going to protect our family. That's what we're coming. They're coming after us. We got to protect our family. Um, and you know, you present it this way, and then of course the person who comes behind you and says, "Well, maybe we ought to put some regulations." Are you trying to stop me from protecting my family and my kids? Is that what you're trying to do? You mm. know. Um, that's it's an easy juxtaposition to set yourself in the middle of there. And it's hard to go. No, I would just like for your crazy ass to have to take a background check and learn how to shoot right. the thing that could kill everybody, you know, <laughs> right. and that doesn't fit on the bumper sticker, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they, they've been they've been extremely good at doing this and extremely good. And not only that, but in. These things that we talk about, these things we're 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 being specific in in what we want to have these regulations. They're they're very good at then broadening those out to uh, to make those also somehow fit on a bumper sticker. Where uh, hey, I'd like for there to be background checks. You're for gun control. <laughs> I think it go. It's similar to things like abortion. So uh, oh, you know, over the last several decades, there's been a real polarization of the parties. Um, the parties have become more related to your identity and all of the things that all of your ideological positions line up with those things. So like Republicans are now solidly anti-abortion. Democrats are solidly pro-abortion. And there's not really a lot of cross party, you know, pollination, I guess, or whatever the right term is for those issues. There, there are not really conservative Democrats anymore who support um, who are on the on the more pro gun side of things, 
There are no federal Democratic candidates who've gotten an A from the NRA. Um, so when you when you take these issues like guns and abortion that are really hot button issues and you really polarize them in the party, which is was not true um, 30 or 40 years ago, it you can make that and then an, an everything about a person's identity, like Josh is talking about, where guns are are part of your the way you see yourself um, mm-hmm. as a macho person. And when you do that, it makes people a lot more apprehensive about regulating those things so you know the irony is and i know i know we're we're about to run out of time so i'll be quick the irony is all three of us are southerners yeah you know you know you guys by birth me by choice and 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 i know just like you guys know that probably i i would bet easily 70 percent of the democrats walking around here have guns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so, so that's just sort of the irony. I mean, it's such a. But the difference is, is for Democrats, it's not a part of their identity in the same way. It has not yeah. been politicized for them in the same way. It is a tool and it is yeah. a tool for a lot of Republicans as well. I'm not discounting that. But the way politics has happened, it has made it a function of identity on the right. That makes it a lot harder to have moderate conversations with one another about what the best way to prevent gun violence is. Um, and going back to your question about why they've been able to do this, I mean, until recently, there was not a, there was there were a few gun reform groups, but there was not major gun reform groups until ten years ago. Um, I think there's been a. It, even on the democratic side of things, there's been a, a real push for gun reform um, that we're, we're starting to see have some effects, but it, there's not the same infrastructure on the left that there is on the right with the NRA and with the conservative media um, to push these things. So that's, Money. I think that's also part of the reason why they've been more successful. So, cause they have the apparatus to push these ideas and the money. It's the money. I mean, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a product being sold on the other side of this. And so and when you're pushing to not sell the product, there's there's very little money in it. So it takes longer to build the uh, build up the, the apparatus and the infrastructure like you're talking about. So, all right, look, we got to get out of here. Uh, I, we do appreciate you coming on, Chip. It, uh, it's a yes. very good, very good. And y'all check out the trace. And uh, I assume yeah. the can, can people donate to the trace as well? Yes. Yeah. We are a nonprofit newsroom. And so we don't have advertisements. We are funded by our members and by other donors, um, by foundations and things like that. So, yes, you can donate. And that's thetrace.org. Thetrace.org. Go and donate. They do great work, and uh, they're trying yep. to keep people informed with facts and stuff, and that's always very helpful uh, in today's world uh, when you're fighting the Alex Jones and the Info world, uh, info Wars and pizza parlors with basements <laughs> and things like that. So, All right, we're going to slide out. We'll come back and wrap this baby up in just a second. Alabama Politics This Week, back in a minute. Everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, 
what what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be, uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections, uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. Alrighty, welcome back in Alabama Politics this week. Hey, uh, before we move along, mm-hmm. I was given some information that that uh, that little podcast that you cheated on me with, uh, <laughs> Finding Tamika. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, it's no, it's no Alabama Politics this week, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, nominated uh, for a Dupont Columbia Journalism Award. Um, which, if you're unfamiliar, that's some high class. Uh, that yeah. is that is excellent company. That is world class company uh, to be in, and uh, that is David Person and uh, and that podcast. If you have not listened to that, y'all, you really should. It is one of the best podcasts I've listened to in in a while. Well, and, thank you. You know, I I mean, even I, I got to tell you, I was so mad at you for cheating on me. Uh, with that, but after listening to it, I was like, "Well, I understand that they they were better." Uh, you know, it's, it was a hard thing to admit that uh, you know that, that they were better. But I, I'm I'm a man, I'm a bigger man in this in this regard. So uh, it, it, was, it was fantastic. It really was. And, and uh, I, as I told you, I would not be surprised if y'all win this thing. I really would. Yeah. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, it. I, Good luck, good luck with that, and uh, and again, yeah, you know, it's at, at Audible, um, yeah, and you know, finding Tamika, uh, yeah. go and uh, and and check it out. Um, all right, uh, let's before we slide out of here, um, let's let's go through if we can uh, some of the competitive races, and then um, we, I'd like to, if it's okay with you, uh, make the last race that we talk about. Uh, the person in it, our right wing nut of the week, if that's okay. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, because uh, I, I was going to, I'll spoil it for everybody. It's going to be Pete Rim, uh, who's running against Vivian Figures, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Pete was at the January sixth insurrection. Uh, took buses up. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, is a uh, is a big believer that the election still today will still today tell you that the election was stolen. Um, yeah. And that uh, there was a fraud that Trump won in a landslide, and the people were cheated out of this. Uh, we'll mm. still today tell you these things, um, mm-hmm. and so he is challenging Vivian Figures in what is a surprising ra- uh, race there that is built on. You'll be shocked, racism. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but let's let's start up in Huntsville real quick, uh, and we'll run through because there are, in my mind, there are five competitive races within this state. And I'm talking about in the state house here because mm-hmm. statewide office, um, there are zero. Um, and so I, you know, breaks my heart I, to hear you say that, but at the same time, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dispute I, you on it. It's a tough, yeah. it's been a tough slog, man. It's been I, a tough I slog. I understand that completely. I know I just, I, and I, and I don't say that with like some glee, you know, yeah. there are none. Believe me, I wish I wish that there were. But just looking at the polling and things, you know, I think that there are there are these five. There are Mallory Hagan versus uh, Philip Rigsby, uh, Marilyn Lands versus David Cole, Kim Lewis versus Tom Butler, 
Philip Ensler versus Charlotte Meadows and Vivian Figures versus Pete Rim. Um, out of those, I would say going in that the Democrats should be, except for I would say probably Lewis and Butler. Um, I would say Democrats would probably be going into the end of the election day as favorites. Um, he, uh, you know, just to, just looking at polling that has taken place, and I know polling has not been necessarily privy to a lot of people, but listening to what's kind of going on, looking at the ad buys, looking at things that are that are taking place, um, it's pretty obvious that they the Republicans are really really worried about those seats, and that the the Democratic candidates in these particular areas are going to do very well. Uh, may not win them. We'll see. Uh, it's it's tough to, mm-hmm. to win over Republicans in these areas. Um, out of those, uh, you know, probably the most surprising one to me, yeah, you know, outside of that, the Pete Rim thing and Vivian Figures, which I will explain towards the end. But um, I think Mallory Hagan um, running for that Mac McCutcheon seat, if she were to win that, and like I said again, I think the the polling at least you know has shown that she's she's right there with him. Um, that is to me an example of somebody who just flat out outworked their opponent in this. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a so certainly Madison is a is a changing area of the state, and it's a lot more purple than it was even two years ago. But I mean, Mallory Hagen will do some will put in some work. Uh, I mean, the uh, the amount of things, the amount of events she has attended, the amount of things she has hosted, the amount of stuff that she does through social media and and other outreach is really kind of amazing. Um, to I, I you know I, I follow her on on the different platforms and so I see a lot of it and I mean it is uh, and and also I mean I think also working in her favor is the fact that she has a candidate who doesn't really do a lot. Or she has an opponent, I say, who, who doesn't really do a lot in Philip Rigsby. And, you know, he's not out there as much. He's not uh, doing a lot of these things uh, that she is. And so, I, yeah. you know, I, to me, it that's, that's one of the most surprising ones to me, though. Well, I, I'll say this. I, you know, I think Mallory comes into it with a lot of things going for her. She's telegenic. Mm-hmm. She is young. Mm-hmm. She's female. And I think all of those are an asset at this particular point in time, even even in a red state like Alabama, being a female clearly does not on either side of the aisle, by the way, does not is not the inhibitor that you might think it would be um, right. on either side of the aisle. The other thing, too, that I've noticed with her is that. Um, she um, she has she's uniquely positioned in that she is. An Alabamian, but but she's got real strong ties outside of the state. Yes, uh, I was at the uh, Rocket City Pride uh, celebration this year, and um, and uh, so I, you know there there are lots of different displays and tables and so forth, and uh, and Ma- and Mallory was there. She was mm-hmm. there. She was one of the. In fact, if I recall correctly, she was one of the few candidates. Who was there, if not the only candidate? Now that I think about it, she may, no, yeah. no, 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 she wasn't the only candidate. That's right. Kim Lewis was there, and I think somebody earlier too. Um, but anyway, um, 
Mallory, I, I, so I go over there and, you know, we hug and we talk, take photos and whatever. And um, she had there with her a friend from California. This is mm-hmm. guy from L.A. I uh, can't remember all that he told me he did, but we had a nice conversation. And it was pretty clear that he and Mallory was still very you know, that they had a really strong tie. And I think he met her through her Miss America, uh, you know, uh, campaign. And, uh, and so she's somebody who has had the ability to, to bring in resources and various forms of support, I'm sure from outside of the state. So that definitely makes her strong. Uh, I want to jump in though. I want to, I want to jump to Kim Lewis for a minute because, um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think Tom Butler is a lot more concerned about Kim than maybe we realize. And I say that in in part because of something you told me, um, you, you, you received a push, one of those push, uh, phone poles, right? Mm -hmm. And it was in the, and the way you described it. And I think we talked about it on, on the podcast. uh, It was really clear that they have some real, for them to push out that phone pole that way with, with insinuating some things about race and finances, that says to me that they felt like they really, really had to do that yeah. uh, in order to, to keep her at bay. The other thing I've noticed, too, with Butler is that, um, you know, he seems to have... Uh, he seems to have stepped up his his um, his interviews and so forth. Mm-hmm. I saw him someplace being interviewed, and it seemed to me like, and Josh, you may have a different point of view, but it seemed to me like he was almost going out of his way to not be offensive, even though they were offensive with the push pole. He personally mm-hmm. was going out of his way not to be offensive while at the same time expressing this sort of this incredulity about, well, why is she even running? I don't, I don't really understand, you know, I, you know, and, and I think, and I think there's, again, there's a certain kind of, it was a posture to me that was trying to plant doubt, Mm -hmm. you know, without just overtly attacking her. And I think that's because he really, he he doesn't really know how to campaign against her successfully. You know, she's yeah. a successful, an extraordinarily successful businesswoman. Nobody disputes that. She's African American, so you gotta be careful. You, you don't wanna be, you know, cast as a racist. Right. She's a woman, yeah. you don't wanna be cast as misogynist, you know, mm-hmm. so she's she's kinda tricky. Kinda tricky. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you the most surprising thing to me about that phone call, about the pole phone, the push pole phone call that I got from from Butler, was um, you know I, I kind of expected some of the stuff about you know her whatever her past and you know because they had problems with taxes or some nonsense that they were talking about and um, and I mean I, and I went and looked that up you know, to to be frank and you know and I I found very very little of anything that that somebody should be concerned with uh, in terms of her business practices and things. And you're right. She's been very, very successful. And as we know from the former president, uh, a lot of times 
you, you start a business and things don't work out and you move on. And that's exactly what she did in a couple of cases. And so, um, but uh, the, the most surprising thing to me out of that poll was uh, the fact that Tom Butler made it a point or his campaign made it a point uh, to let people know that he is not anti-abortion. He is, he is fine with abortion, he just wants to set limits on when you can have an abortion up to, I, I believe, and I, I, I don't want to be quoted on this or say that this is 100% what they said. I believe they said up to 15 weeks uh, there uh, oh, and, and during the call. So, uh, but there was definitely an effort there to, to make it clear that he was not for Alabama's current abortion ban, even though he voted for it. Hmm. But he's not for it, even though he, but he's not for it. He's not for it. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, so that's you know, that was to me very surprising. And it to me spoke to the the real issues that Republicans have. If they're having that much. And that's one of the reasons. Another one of the reasons why I believe that Democrats are going to do pretty well next Tuesday, despite what polling says, is that even in Alabama, in a purple district in Alabama, an old white dude who biggest claim to fame is outlawing dildos wants to make it clear during a push poll to anybody that they call that he's not against full-on abortion restrictions and outlawing abortions completely. Mm Mm-hmm. If that's taking place here, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, and so, you're right. yeah. Um, and, and, and that, I mean, that was the biggest surprise to me out of that was, was the, that that was included in there and that, you know, he made it clear. Now, I mean, he also wanted to cast her stance on abortion is that there should be no limits anytime up to uh, the, the moment of birth. Uh, right. So, you know, which is nonsense, of yeah. course. But um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, and you're right. Um, uh, Kim Lewis is uh, is is a really, really great candidate. And and there's a reason why he can't attack her is the people in the community love her. You know, yeah. even even the folks that might vote re- Republican, they still like Kim Lewis. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's done a lot for the community there and in Huntsville. And she is a very, very popular lady around town in a bunch of different communities around Huntsville. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, you, you, you had a hard time uh, attacking her. Now, yeah, yeah she uh, let's let's. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and 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 props to her husband Larry too, because he's he's been uh, obviously a major part of the success of their businesses yes. along with Kim, and um, and he's well liked as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're yeah. both very well liked. Yeah. Um. Uh. We could talk about, uh, but uh, the David Cole Maryland Lands race, but. You know, what's the point? He doesn't live in the district, so can't win. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and we covered that pretty well last week, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, let's shift south, not quite as far south as the, as our final, but uh, into Montgomery. And uh, Charlotte Meadows, uh, who is the incumbent Republican, is uh, being challenged by Philip Ensler. Now, they redrew that district uh, after uh, reapportionment, and that district uh, encompassed a lot more of 
different sections of Montgomery, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, more minority sections of Montgomery, which immediately threw it into question for Charlotte Meadows because um, let's just say she's not very popular in those communities. Um, mm. She has Philip Ensler, who we've had on this program, uh, not because he was a candidate at the time, but because he was uh, representing Claudette Colvin, mm-hmm. who was uh, the uh, lady that was the original Rosa Parks, uh, refused to give up her seat on the bus in 1955. Uh, however, they uh, chose not to move forward with her as the face of that movement, uh, but still uh, was still you know a, a person that was wronged, and he represented her in getting her record expunged. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, his, his running for office is it, it worked as. Uh, as a guy, a Teach for America teacher, went into a, a you know, underperforming, impoverished school district in Montgomery, taught at R.E. Lee uh, High School uh, for a period of time. Came back with a with with his, after he got his law degree to Montgomery and started on civil rights work. Uh, worked for Appleseed, worked uh, in in uh, Mayor Stephen Reed's office uh, on a variety of projects. Is a big civil rights guy. And is very, very well liked around town. Just honestly, he's a good person. Mm-hmm. He's a good person. And for the last couple of weeks, Charlotte Meadows' campaign, and which, by the way, Charlotte Meadows, not a very good person, uh, mm-hmm. has been uh, sending out flyers and uh, social media ad buys, uh, caught, raising questions about Phillips. Liberal New York values and how New we York don't need those liberal New York values <laughs> in, in Alabama and in Montgomery. Um, and so I wrote a column about that, yes. about the, those liberal New York values. And uh, and I compared them to those uh, been living in Montgomery 47 years values of Charlotte Meadows. And I got to tell you, I'll take the damn uh, liberal New York values all day long if they Amen. are uh, worried about the rights of people and, and how others are treated and, and making sure that, that folks are uh, get the same rights voting and in life. And, uh, you know, given uh, he's given God, he's represented so many people pro bono, giving away free legal advice to impoverished folks and make, making sure that people are represented that otherwise wouldn't be. Uh, he's done a ton of those things. In the meantime, Charlotte Meadows has claimed to fame is the fact that prior to being elected was that she was the president of the Montgomery County School Board. And she was the president of the Montgomery County School Board when it was discovered that there was a huge grade change scandal taking place mm-hmm. within the school system. Now, I will point out that Charlotte Meadows never changed any grades, okay? I know this for a fact because I was the person who busted them for this grade change scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote the stories mm-hmm. about this, uh, quoting the teachers and uh, and and the people who were involved in in you know blowing the whistle on this whole deal. And there were roughly about twenty some odd teachers that that ultimately blew the whistle on on what was taking place and how they were being forced to change grades for underperforming students to up. Uh, you know that GPA um, and get the and basically shuffle kids along. I mean they. There, there were literally, literally stories of ninth and 10th graders who couldn't read. And they were just shuffling them along, shuffling them along, on out the door. And they were going to send those kids out into the world being unable to read. Um, so uh, how while Charlotte Meadows never changed a grade, she sat at a personnel hearing in which they were attempting to move a teacher who had blown the whistle on this 
off to another school as punishment for mm. her for raising questions about what was taking place at Lee. Yeah. She'd been teaching at Lee for 20 some odd years. Now this, this lady ended up being a crazy person at the end of the, <laughs> at the, end of the day is currently serving on the board as a crazy person, but sometimes crazy people have, have the, have the right facts. Okay. And, and in this case, I didn't have to rely simply on uh, Lisa Keith, um, as who was teaching there. She gave, she had documents and evidence, and then she had all of these other teachers that were there that I talked to as well. They sat in that room and they ignored her mm. and then approved the personnel transaction and pushed her on out. Shortly thereafter, after I busted them for this whole thing, uh, Charlotte Meadows you know, resigned. She was getting out of there. She wasn't, she's, she's not running again. And the next thing you know, she shows up as a lobbyist for student first, uh, trying to suck money away from public schools and trying to uh, becoming an advocate for these uh, programs that are uh, scholarship granting organizations that basically give tax breaks to businesses uh, to give money to kids that are going to end up going to private schools. Hmm. Um, and so you're, she just continues to suck the life out of the public school system in Montgomery. And, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I got a real problem with that. I got a real problem with Lead Academy that she runs in Montgomery, this charter school there that is terrible, mm -hmm. terrible. So bad that the charter school commission, we had Dick Brubaker on here. He talked about it. He talked about how he was going to have to look into it mm -hmm. uh, into, into closing them down when it came, came time to look at them again uh, yeah. because they are so terrible at this place. I had a former principal who accused her, accused Charlotte Meadows in in a lawsuit, written down, accused her of trying to chase away uh, learning disabled students yeah. from the school. So I got to tell you, I'll take the liberal New York values. All right. So how has she been able to get away with, uh, how has she been able to escape accountability, even if it's just, you know, accountability in terms of news coverage or, or, or campaign campaigning from the other side that points out these things. How has she been able to escape that? Well, you know, news coverage wise, there's very, very little anymore, uh, especially of any, any real substance on things. And, and there's no historical knowledge uh, present at any newsroom basically anymore. Uh, and so Meaning now, guys, guys in your age group, my age group yeah. tend to not be there yeah. and not no, just guys, no but women as well. Right. Yeah. There's, there's people who just don't know that this is what happened, you know, yeah, this, this, yeah. what her role was in this. And, um, and then, you know, just, uh, the, and overall the problem is there's just not a lot of coverage of these people and what they do, you know? And so you have somebody, a rich white lady, the wife of a doctor, uh, who is running for office in Montgomery in a white, predominantly white district. And that's what they're doing. Now she's running a lot of her campaign, you look at the mailers that go out, they look like some stuff that would have gone out in the 1960s, you know, mm. where uh, one of them is a scary black figure holding a knife uh, with this, uh, I, uh, some, some sort of language there that talks about how uh, Philip Ensler don't want, uh, does not want the law-abiding citizens of Montgomery to be able to defend themselves. Wait, I just uh, want to be clear. You said a black figure. Do you mean yeah, a person a, with a black face? You mean a, a black person? It, it's just a blacked out figure. Uh, oh, okay. 
You know what I'm saying? It's just okay. a, 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 so a, like a, a silhouette. Like a, a silhouette. silhouette. Yes, yeah, so a okay. black silhouette. It's almost like it looks like a shadow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, holding a knife, uh, you know, and so, uh, the, you know, obviously somebody's coming in. And, and, and listen, it's as close as you can get to putting an actual black person on the head, hmm. you know, and still get away with it in this day and age. And hmm. that's what they did. It's not, there's okay. no, I mean, you know, and when you say New York liberal, I think people have an idea of what you're talking about there, you know, as, as they once said on the West Wing, she means Jewish, you know. Uh, that's what they. That's what the whole conversation uh, during one scene was with uh, somebody calling some uh, a, another person that was working in the White House a New York liberal, and you know it was well, she means Jewish, yeah. and that's exactly what they mean here. And and it's the, the another one of the flyers that went out or mailers, I guess I should call them. One of the mailers that went out said Philip in in small print. It said Philip Ensler and his liberal New York values. That was in small print. And it, his picture is right over to the side. Does not belong in Alabama. Wow. Uh, you know, in, in great big print, you know. Wow. And so, yeah. And, and, you know, so there's nothing of substance to any of this, you know. <laughs> There's nothing of substance to any of this. There's nothing. And, and as I pointed out in the column, there's nothing for her to run on record wise because there's nothing in her record. You know, she's been over there for a couple of years now. And the best thing she's got are four bills that where she's trying to suck money away from the public school system. Right. Uh, a couple of bills about abortion restrictions. And then the rest of it was stuff about wearing a helmet when you're riding a motorcycle and, and you know, other nonsense like this that nobody cares about. And, it's just that's who they're who you're talking about. You're going to put in Philip Insler, who's going to go in and actually care about the folks of the district, the 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 total district, not just the people who he's most comfortable with, but everybody. And or you're going to have what you've had, mm-hmm. you know. And I I hope that that people get out and and vote for Philip because they. That district deserves better than that, and I, I just—I'm sorry—it—it it really turned Charlotte Meadows really turns me off in, in terms of, of the way she has acted and the way that she behaved after leaving that board, and the way she went after public education, and the way she has harmed public education in Montgomery and the lies that she has spread about people that have run the public school system in Montgomery. Mm. I, I just, it, it really, it really bothers me for somebody who was in the position and who knows better to do some of the things that she's done to kind of cast out and make the job more difficult on people who are already doing a difficult and important job as it is. Yeah. And that's what she's done. And it, that, that's what really bothers me more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. No. But, uh, all right, listen, we got, we got to wrap this thing up. So we got to get to our last one. All, all right. right. Um, Pete Ram is, uh, is a crazy person, uh, who <laughs> runs a right side radio, something or other in Montgomery. Okay. Uh, and maybe it's not right side radio. It's, some, it's one of those, it's a stupid name. So don't worry about all it. All right. Don't, don't go look it up. <laughs> but Pete was at the Capitol. Uh, he was, went up there because the election had been stolen from him and people who are like him. And so he went up there to that capital, helped charter buses uh, from the radio station uh, to to go up and uh, give them those people, you know, what for? 
And um, now they claim, he claims he was not there at uh, the actual insurrection itself. He didn't enter the Capitol. He just went to the steps uh, because that's where he thought he was going to meet his congressperson, Jerry Carl. Yeah. Uh, but then things got out of hand and they just had to leave. They just left. Mm. That's what he says. But he also gave an interview there at the Capitol where he said that if they're scared now, wait till we come back. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. He is running against Vivian Figures, who is a smart, uh, well prepared. Um, really decent person, mm-hmm. and uh, who has represented her district very well, uh, and during the reapportionment, uh, also uh, into Vivian Figures District, they drew in uh, a Spanish a portion of Spanish Fort that is predominantly white and uh, upper middle class. I guess would be the best way to uh, to term it, and. Those people are very unhappy at being represented by Vivian Figures because hmm. you know I'll make you I'll let you I'll let, let me, you draw is it, does it have anything to do with her hairstyle or the way yeah, she dresses could, or could. Um, that, that could could be that could be that um, car she know, drives they, have, they were outraged. Hmm. I'll say this. I mean, let me frame it. In, in, we're just using facts. Mm-hmm. Those folks were outraged at being included in a district which was made up of predominantly inner city folks. So, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. they were very unhappy. And as a matter of fact, Pete's uh, biggest campaign issue has been the fact that the Democrats in the dark of night Mm. tricked these people into having Spanish Fort drawn into that district. Oh, the Democrats did this. The Democrats. Mm. Because as we all know, the Democrats are responsible for these reapportionment maps. Yeah. Yeah. That was the big lawsuit. The Democrats sued themselves over these maps. Yeah. Hmm. The Democrats. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, isn't that it's um, it's hmm. nonsense. Uh, <laughs> uh, the guy is is leading, or he's not leading. Uh, he is challenging. He's making this more of a race because we're in a uh, in a Republican, heavy Republican state, uh, which is automatically going to get him some votes just by the people who vote straight ticket. And the fact that he is leaning heavily into the racism that's present here, by, by, because these people are upset that they were drawn into this district. Uh, and outside of their other district that's represented by, I'm sure, somebody like Chip Brown or some shit, um, uh, whatever that dude's name is. Um, and it, it is, it, it's, it's honestly, it's so sad and ridiculous uh, that because, again, there is no substance to any of Reem's campaign here. There's no substance to it at all other than to just, Lean on the easiest way out. I'm looking at his. Um, I'm looking at his Facebook page right now, Josh, and um, he only has a thousand point one followers, mm-hmm. so eleven hundred followers, I guess. That seems a little small for that area, doesn't it? Considering that yeah. he's a public official, or at least is a public figure running for U.S. Senate. I mean, it does. Uh, it does. I mean, I don't know. Senate? 
I don't know how many times he's been kicked off Facebook for saying crazy things. Uh, so uh, maybe that's played a role into it. I don't know. Uh, okay. uh, but I mean, cause listen, listen to me. This dude will tell you right now that the election was stolen and that Trump won by a landslide. Okay. He'll tell you that right now. He's written these, col- these insane columns. Uh, matter of fact, I, I think I have some of, some of what he's written. Uh, down here, uh, he uh, in a column that he wrote for Renew America, uh, he spoke out against equity, calling it crap and blaming it for weakening the U.S. military. Absolutely anti-American equity, race and woke is an all out sinister attack on the American military to make it dysfunctional and ineffective. This was his response to, I don't know if you recall, uh, uh, our secretary of defense, uh, Mr. Austin, uh, that uh, you know, uh, came from this state, uh, was at Auburn for a while. Um, he, uh, he was undertaking an effort to root out uh, white supremacism and uh, other things that were white supremacy that was, uh, that was within the ranks of the military. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that was, that was Rim's big, uh, big problem there. Um, the wokeness. <laughs> yeah, the wokeness. Uh, he mm-hmm. described in a column, a few months after the January 6th attack, he described the people, the crowd that stormed uh, the Capitol as peaceful and mostly elderly. He blamed Antifa for the violence. Uh, he helped spread outright lies about the people who died during the insurrection in an effort to downplay the violence. Uh, he referred to Black Lives Matter as a Marxist racist terror organization akin to the KKK. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you man, this is where we are here. Uh, it's attacks on public school, uh, on public education. Rim uh, uh, claimed that uh, they were indoctrinating students. Then uh, the left's attack on white supremacy is really an attack on Christianity and said, sadly, public education is probably beyond redemption and reform. Uh, compared homosexuality to pedophilia, called it oh a depravity. God. Yep. Uh, hmm. And and said that the LGBTQ movement in America was actually a movement meant to make pedophilia more acceptable. Yeah, which which of course ignores completely the facts that that uh, and I've and I've had social scientists say this to me in interviews and other settings more than once that the overwhelming majority of pedophiles. Yep. Are opposite sex pedophiles. That's They're right. not same sex pedophiles. That's right. That it's, is correct, it's Uncle sir. it's Uncle yeah. Bob that wants little Sally to sit on his lap. That's right. It's not this, it's yeah. not the other you know, it's not same sex stuff. That's right. And as somebody I can't remember who it was pointed out the other day, uh, you know, when we're talking you know, talking about the transgender issue and you know, one of the things that people always go to is, well, then what's going you know, what maybe men gonna dress up like women and go into the bathroom then, you know. Well, if that's your fear, then you don't fear transgender people. You fear regular people. You know, the regular, the regular pervert exactly. people is what I mean. I'm sorry, I meant regular perverted people uh, yeah. that are that are yeah. out there in the world. Uh, yeah, that's what you fear. You don't fear you don't fear the transgender folks that are actually out there going to the appropriate bathroom and doing their business and leaving. You yeah. fear the the predators that are out right. there in the world, anyways. Which I have to tell you this: there's nothing stopping them from going in those bathrooms now. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, it's uh, exactly. 
So, yeah, it's just yeah. a bunch of malarkey, as, as yeah. the old folks used to say. Since he wants to bring up old folks, you yeah. know, the elderly. The you elderly. Know, That's all it was. Writing all it was. He said, honestly, man, this column, it's, <laughs> uh, I read through. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. It's in the insanity in it. It's just off the charts. He uh, he says in this column um, that the the reports of violence at the Capitol struck him and every other Republican as so odd because everybody knows conservatives don't commit such violence. It had to be Antifa because that crowd was mostly elderly that went in there. <laughs> so stupid, man. So dumb. Like the other reality. I wonder they believe in Alex Jones. All righty. And for all that, Pete Ram is our right wing nut of the week. And hopefully the good people down in, in the Mobile area will uh, will make sure that he remains a little listened to radio host and nothing more than that. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. All right. Let's listen. We've given you way more uh, than we should. Uh, and, you know, probably deserve. Let's be honest. Uh, uh, we've, we've given you a lot here. So let's slide out of here. Um, and y'all, y'all go vote. Yes. Go vote for good people. Go vote for knowledgeable people. Go vote for people that you believe in and the yes. people that you know. Yes. Okay. Don't check a box. Just go down. Go make sure you know what you're voting for. Mm-hmm. Read up on the amendments. Make sure you understand everything. And vote for decent people. That's Amen. all you got to do. Vote for decent people. Amen. All right. Till next week. Y'all be safe out there. Peace. <laughs>